interesting chapter. Um, we called it facing our past or dealing with our demons because Jacob is in a precarious position. Jacob has to face his past. Uh, it's one thing um, to outlive, uh, outlive things in life, but sometimes you have to face things. I will, there was a, a, a young lady who was over the age of 80 one time, and she said, I don't have any enemies. I said, why? She said, because I outlived them all. <laughs> and, and, and in ways, sometimes we can't try to outlive some of our mistakes. We try to outlive some of the things in our life. But honestly, God doesn't want us to abort all the things in our life. Sometimes the best path to our destiny is dealing and making right some of those things uh, that we did wrong. Uh, it is making sure that we are handling things in, in a proper way. And God is a God of order. God is also a God that says that you reap what you sow. So therefore, for God to put the blessing on Jacob, he's going to bless Jacob regardless. But he has sent Jacob back. Um, to Canaan, and Jacob knows that in order to go back to Canaan, he has to deal with his brother. He has to deal with the wrongs that he's done. He has to deal with his issues. And in America, that's kind of foreign to us. Why? Because we really don't like to deal with our issues. We like to put them on the back burner, don't we? We like to pretend that they're not there. Um, and uh, we've grown accustomed to that. Rather than deal with weight loss and other things, we'll just do away with the bathroom scale. Rather than deal... Uh, with education or other things in our life, we just pretend that we don't want those dreams. And we try to go back across through our life, through things, trying to avoid. And God doesn't want us to avoid. He doesn't want us to be in a place where we're always avoiding uh, and trying to go through. But sometimes he wants us to deal with that thing. Everybody said deal with it. God wants us to deal with it. And so we see that Jacob has had an encounter with God and that this is not the same Jacob that we started the story with. This is Jacob, a totally different Jacob. This is a Jacob who's been through life, Jacob who's been through struggle, and those struggles have made him uh, what God wants him to be. If Lamarck, if you could help them with that uh, back there. God is trying to, I'm throwing a monkey wrench by standing. They, they, they have to do some readjustments and things like that. But God is really working uh, on him. And so he's on the way back to meet his brother. Can you imagine the anxiety in his life? Thinking about all the stuff that he did to his brother, knowing that the last time I saw this person, he wanted to extinguish my life. He wanted to kill me. And what's going to happen? Can you imagine all the things that are going through his mind as he's sending troop after troop? Over to, uh, over to his brother, hoping that that would appease his brother and not cause his brother to extinguish his life. And so we're going to see how Jacob deals with these things. Uh, let's start at Genesis chapter 33, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read from there. We can all read together. Let's read. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. 
Now, I want to stop and put a pin there because how many times have we had anxiety about a situation just to realize that we wasted a ton of time worrying about that situation that God already had it what? Worked out. A lot of times we're worrying about our past and the mistakes of our past. What if they find out I've been divorced? What if they find out I've been done this? What if they find out I've done that? How will the world receive me if they know that I have a dark past? Well, guess what? The entire world has a dark past. The entire world has issues. And many times we waste valuable time worrying about how things will work out when in the in the grand summation of things, these things belong to the Lord that we need to give them to God. So here he is, all upset, thinking that he is going to uh, be in a bad position with his brother. And all of a sudden, his brother runs up, he weeps, and he kisses him. The first question says, Jacob bowed seven times, and he did that. He did it as a sign to his brother that he was in submission. That's a sign of submission. What he is saying is, although by, by right I have the birthright, although by right I have the blessing, I realize that I have done wrong, and I am calling you my superior. In other words, Jacob is giving away the right that he supplanted. He is bowing to his brother, saying that I am here to beg for your forgiveness. I am here as a servant. And, and we see that, that we're going to see in a second how much anxiety he had. And all of a sudden, his brother ran up and kissed him. Here's a thought. How many people have not spoken to a loved one in years and think that that loved one hates them, not realizing that while God is working on your heart, God is on theirs and we can waste valuable time instead of just trying to make amends how many years had Esau probably thought I that really wasn't worth losing my brother over how many times as he got older that he thought you know what when we were young we were a little bit silly and we do that when we're young don't we sometimes we do that when we're older we make big deals out of things and we have everybody has somebody if it's not them or somebody that they know in their family they've seen a situation where family members haven't spoken to each other for years, sometimes generations not realizing that both are ready to reconcile, but they allow all those things of the past to play a script in their mind, and therefore they cannot be uh, reconciled because they're allowing their mind to keep them from moving forward. Jacob has a little help because God is making him move forward, and in order for him to get his destiny, he can't go around it. Need I tell you that there are some things in your life that you're going to have to go back and deal with to get the blessing that God has for you. Somebody that's listening to me, maybe online, maybe in the room, you might have to go back and get that degree that you never got. You might go back and have to go back and get that training that you never got. You might have to go back and make amends with somebody so God can bless you. For those who are listening who might be in ministry, you might have left ministry in a bad way. And you might have to go back and make amends with that pastor and, and the way you left before God will bless you the way you need to be blessed. Because you have some things in your life that need to be addressed. But this is so freeing that when you address it, it's hard and it is, it is daunting. To, to think of dealing with situations we really don't want to deal with, especially when we don't have to deal with them. But I'm going to tell you the truth. When you deal with those tough situations, it is so freeing to know that the Band-Aid has been ripped off, that it, we can move forward past this point. We have dealt with the situation. So let's go down into, um, into verse 
the next verse that's coming up. But I find it catching that it doesn't say Jacob wept. Who does it say wept? Esau wept. Esau had missed his brother. Esau had already forgiven his brother. Esau had already made amends. He'd become a different person. Esau, you'll see in a little bit, has become blessed. And being blessed sometimes makes you uh, not worry about offenses. Sometimes when you realize God blessed you, you're not really as upset about what people do to you. Um, because you realize in the grand scheme, matter that you're still blessed. I think my mic may be going in and out. Um, but you're still blessed. And so this is where we see a beautiful picture of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. There's a bunch of reconciliation that needs to be done in the world. There's social reconciliation. There's racial reconciliation. There's a lot of things in our country and in our communities where things have been wronged and one person goes to their corner and the other person goes to their corner and they never reconcile to make those things right. Nobody ever is strong enough to say, you know what, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And once that person says that I'm wrong and I'm sorry, the other person isn't strong enough to accept the apology and let it go. <laughs> so we see reconciliation here. Let's go to verse 5. It says, what? And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and the children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Now stop for a second. Is this the same Jacob? This is not the same Jacob, is it? So it's encouragement. We started this talking about when we were talking about Jacob, that God can use you and you might not be ready for what he's calling you into. But as he's getting ready to go into what God's called him to, he's matured. God has allowed this situation so that his maturity can catch up with his calling. Because sometimes you're gifted to do a thing, but you're not yet mature enough to handle the weight of that's going to be able to rest on that thing. Jacob is going to be a father. They call unto the God of Abraham, Isaac, and what? Jacob. His name will be forever known. So he has to catch up, and his maturation process took 20 years before he could get there. But now, and I'm giving a little segue into uh, our new sermon series, he is showing a dependence. Everybody said dependence. He's showing a dependence on God. He realizes where his blessings are coming. He says, these are the children who God gave me. And these children and his wives are put in the order in which they came. So they're in social stat social order. So you have Leah and her children. Uh, and, and, and then you have, have all the other ones that go subsequently behind uh, with uh, Actually, the smallest son, Joseph, bringing up the rear. And he says, these are the children whom God was graciously given your servant. Verse 6, what does it say? Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near to you and they bowed down. We can't go past this. This is why I like exegesis. This is something that if you're not paying attention you may pass by, but this is important to know that they are bowing down to Jacob, to, to Esau. But what was the blessing that was placed on Jacob? It said what? That all your brother's children will bow down 
to you. But now we see that this time before that happens, which it will eventually happen, Jacob humbles himself and allows his sons and his daughters to take the subservient role and to bow down uh, to, to Esau. I, I hear the scripture saying that those of you who would become first must become of what? A servant. You have to, everybody said you have to serve first. Some Sometimes humility is as important. And what Jacob is really saying is, I'm sorry. I'm putting myself in a subservient position. He bows down. That second question says, Jacob's children bow down to Esau, which is actually supposed to be done by Esau and his sons because he sold his birthright. He sold his birthright. Therefore, he should be the one that's bowing down. But in this instance, Jacob and his children are bowing down. Verse 8 says, Esau said... What do you mean by all the company that I met? In other words, the group of people uh, that, that were coming down. Why did you send all those people? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Look at his language. This isn't just a supplanter who's stolen something. He is saying, basically, you are the dominant. I am the subservient. I am sorry. You are my Lord. The words he is using are flattering words. And the words he, he is using is humility. This isn't the wrestling Jacob. This is the broken Jacob. <laughs> Before he got back to Esau, God made sure he was the broken Jacob. He has a limp to remind him that he is now broken. And sometimes before God blesses you, he has to break you because there's some wildness in us. All of us at some point in time, especially during our teenage years, like to do what we want to do when we what? Want to do it. We want to go where we want to go. We want to do what we want to do. We want to say what we want to say. We, we're Americans, so we're Americans. We do things what? Our way. We go where we want. We buy houses in the neighborhood we want. We go to the church that we like. We do the things that we want. We are independent many times. And what we need to realize is that God's kingdom doesn't work. I don't need to get over into my sermon for Sunday, but I, you can tell I've been meditating on this in my mind. We have to flip that script and we have to become serv servants. We have to become dependent. And he says, I'm doing this to draw favor in the sight of my Lord. Verse 9 says this, and you can read it with me. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. <laughs> Even though you did me wrong, God has still been my what? Provider. I want to stop there. I want you to go back in your mind because you've been wronged. Everybody in this room has been wronged at some time and you have wronged somebody. You have been wronged by somebody and sometimes it made you so mad that when you saw them, you saw red. And every time you thought about them, you thought about, I wonder, could I get away and not get caught? And you thought those types of thoughts and they either took money from you and didn't give it back. They lied on you. They mistreated you. They set you up and told lies on you, whatever it was. But this is a sign of maturity on the point of Esau. They both grown up a little bit. He says, I have what? Enough. And what the reason I want you to think about that is because although it happened to you, think of a time in your life that God still hasn't taken care of you. Think of a time in your life that God still hasn't provided for you. Yeah, they lied on you, but those who wanted to leave your life left your life. But the ones who needed to stay, stay. God doesn't place or let anybody leave your life that is important to your destiny if he wants them for your destiny they'll stay in your life or they'll come back at another season but you have everything you need 
There's no need to get bitter when people take things because the Lord gives it and he takes away. It's just stuff. People can do all sorts of wrong stuff to you, but the way you have peace in your heart is you're not lording over or depending on the stuff. You're depending on God, and you know just like that, I may have lost that or just like you took my reputation or you took this or did that, God has the ability to bring it back around and take care of me through it all. Think about it. When's the last time you missed a meal? When's the last time you didn't have clothes on your back and shoes on your feet? But how many times in your life have you said, I don't think I'm going to make it? I don't think I'll make it through this situation. It's just too much for me to bear. This is too tough for me to make it through. But you see that it's always better on the other side. This is encouragement to not quit in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, but to keep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Because the reason it is a valley is because it has an entrance and it has a what? An exit. And sometimes you have to enter into valleys in your life. But if you're going through, that's a good thing. That means you're going through. You're not there to stay. And when you get to the other side, you realize that God has been keeping you the whole entire what time. He says, I've got enough stuff. You can keep it for yourself. But Jacob says, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. Now, I want you to look at the way that he says this. Jacob is insisting, I need you to take this because it's not just for you. This is for me. This is something that I have to do to make amends. This is something that I have to do to make right. Sometimes people have forgiven you and left it, left it alone, but sometimes you need to make some things right for yourself. You, you have guilt and condemnation on yourself. Sometimes it may be somebody that's long gone and de dead and gone. You can do something as simple as write a letter and, and stand at their grave and, and, and read it to them. Get it off your chest. Get it off your heart because there are some things that you may need to do for yourself that they may never hear, but you need those words spoken. You may have never gotten to say you're sorry and now they're dead. You may have never gotten to say you hurt me, but find a way to write a letter. Sometimes you can write a letter and don't even send it. Just write it, get it out of your system so you can express those things. And he's saying, I have to do this. You have to take this from me. I'm going to go through a couple of questions um, uh, when we get to verse 11 because that's where we're going to stop. Now, I want you to see something because when he uses the word that he's going to use in a second, he's been saying gift or present. But this time, verse 11 says, please accept my what? Blessing that it has brought to you because God has dealt with me graciously and because I have enough. Thus, I, he urged him and he took it. He uses the word blessing. It's a Hebrew word that means blessing. Why is this important that he's using this word? What did he steal? He stole the blessing. He bought the birthright. He swindled it. But he stole the blessing. And what Jacob is trying to say is, I've been blessed. And now I don't want you to think about that stuff. I'm going to make sure that I'm a blessing to what? You. He's trying his best to make it what? Right. He's trying to make it right. So I want to ask a question here. What does this event teach us about reconciliation and the importance of family? Can anybody tell me something? What, what does this speak to you when you see this reconciliation where this person has been wronged? It's, you have family drama in it. Mama helped you betray me. Mama helped you steal, steal what belonged to me. And I'm never going to speak to you again. I know people that siblings won't even speak to their parents. 
What does this tell us about the importance of reconciliation? It's very important, right? So if you have somebody in your life that you have some unaddressed issues that things are left said, it's important for you to make those things what? Right. Jesus says, if you're in the middle of worship, if you come in and the praise team is banging and, and the pastor's getting ready to go up and the spirit is high in the church and they do the altar call and, and they putting oil on people and people getting delivered. And he says, you know, there's a situation undone. Your brother has an alt with you. He says, stop. Don't raise your hand. Put your hands in your pocket. Get your keys. I'm paraphrasing. Get in your car and go find that person. Leave your gift at the what? Altar and make it what? Right. It's important for us to make relationships right. Jesus says, how can you say you love me whom you've never seen, but hate your brother who you what? See every day. People who've used that behavior, what did Jesus call them? He called them hypocrites, but there's another word we don't like when people call us. It starts with an L. Liars. He says, how can you say you love your brother who you, uh, you see, hate your brother who you see every day and love me whom you have never seen. He says, you lie and do not the truth. You a liar. You love me, but you got issues with, with the people I created and you won't make those situations right. God has, he hasn't made it this way. When you look at the Ten Commandments, that five of those commandments have to do with the horizontal relationship. But five of those also have to do with what? Vertical relationship. You start with, I am the Lord. I shall have no other gods before me. Then it starts talking about not covenanting and not stealing, how you affect your neighbors. It's important if we're going to move in the body of Christ that we value relationships. We value restoring the things that are wrong. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes it won't end up like this way. Sometimes it'll be that person says, I'm sorry, I just can't forgive what you did. I, I, I don't want to talk to you again. I thank you for reaching out, but this relationship is broken. But let that be on what? Them and not on you. Let that be on them. Let you be able to go to God and say, God, I did everything I could to make it right with my brother. Now touch the heart of my brother so that these things will go right in my life. I want to go down to verse 12. Uh, Esau says in verse 12, then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob says, my Lord knows that the children are frail. Now, some theologians believe that the reason Jacob really doesn't want to go with him because he doesn't yet know that Esau is really, really for real forgiving him. And he does not want to go back into Esau's camp and, and be a, a, sitting, a sitting duck or a garner. But I, I have another thought to that. He says, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. Uh, if they are driven hard for one day, the flocks will die. The, let the Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will head on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and the peace of the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and say here. And that's one of the questions. I think that's number five. Esau goes to say here, but Jacob returns to suck him. Jacob doesn't even go to say here. He's like, well, he hugged me. That was good. He didn't kill me. But just in case, I'm going to make an extra stop. <laughs> So you see that he's still, he's still testing out that relationship. And you know what? Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's okay to test out relationships once reconciliation has been there and trust has been lost. Sometimes it takes 
time for that trust to be regained. And you, you, if you decide to reconcile with somebody, it's okay to say, we're reconciling, but I want to spend some time building some what? Trust. I, I want to forgive you. I want to move forward. But I got to see, have you really what? Changed. And so it's okay. The, it, it, they're going to take some time to do these things. And you don't hear after these scriptures much more about Esau except for a family lineage. But it's important that you know that before Jacob walked into the next part of his life, he didn't just walk into it. And I like how God did this. He doesn't let us think we're just going to pretend like, have you ever had somebody do something like that to you? They did something to you, and then they act like they hadn't done nothing at all. And then, and then they just go on about it, and they never address it. He's not, God's not like that. Be ye not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man, what? Soweth, that shall he also reap. If you have something in your life, if you're online and you hear me at, at one of the websites or if on one of the podcasts, if something's in your life that needs to be resolved, listen to me now. Stop what you're doing, even if you're watching this cast or, or text and say, I'm sorry, or I need to talk to you. Make it what? Right. And that comes up in another chapter because we see Jacob settles in Shechem. Shechem is the word, S-H-E-C-H-E-M. And we're going to see a lot about Shechem in the next uh, in the next uh, next lesson. Um, that lesson is going to be rather um, made for TV, I guess you could say. It's going to be a lot of stuff in there that, that has strong content and things like that and some strong adult situations that are happening there. And you'll see those next week. But this is just uh, making the piece and closing a chapter for the most part. And it says, number seven, I put this here because I want us to uh, know that it says, when faced with righting wrongs, we must ultimately do our part and leave the rest up to God. Everybody said, do my part. Let God handle the rest. He spent all that time devising a plan, trying to send people ahead of him to send gifts for Esau, to butter up Esau, to try to fix it his way. And it ended up that Esau walked to him, started hugging on him and crying and said, I don't even want your gifts. I just want my brother. He spent his time trying to under his own power when he could have just let God fix it because we're going to read that scripture together that's written down Psalm 21 and 1 what does it say the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord it's on your papers and let's read it together what does it say the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will now that's 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 kind of that's one of those things where what happens to free will how free is free will? That's a, that's another question and another theological debate for another day. That's 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 a little deeper than we're going right now. But what does that mean? That God can turn anybody's what heart? The Bible says with Pharaoh and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He used the evil and the wickedness that was already in his heart. He used it for his, for his benefit so that he could crush Egypt because Egypt was really a spiritual battle because Egypt had a bunch of Egyptian gods and idols. And we know the Bible says that those who worship idols worship what? Demons. So this is a demonic battle. And if you go to each one of the plagues that Jesus put up or that God put up there, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, one God, Elohim. When you look at that, if you went back and researched, you would find that each one of those plagues was an attack on one of the gods of Egypt. Each one of them, the Nile God, the river turned to blood. 
God for harvest. He makes sure that locusts eat up the harvest. He, it, it's God mocking the demonic, uh, the demonic systems that are going out in Egypt. He's not just delivering them out, but he's showing that my authority is higher and more powerful than anything that the enemy and Satan has to what? Offer. Now, let me come back to this because Jacob is saying that I, what I want you to know is that Esau's heart was turned. God worked on his heart. Instead of trying to divide your ways in somebody's good grace, wouldn't it be just more simpler to pray and say, Lord, can you fix their heart? Can you make the heart more supple or more pliable to where if, they've not, if they're not ready to forgive me yet, at least they're ready to what? Listen. Lord, not just make them ready to listen, but sometimes guard my heart because some of the stuff they say to me might be harsh because we hurt each other. And so give me a mind where I cannot have to always talk and emote, but I listen. Sometimes you got to, people that you've done wrong, sometimes you got to listen. And some of the stuff they say may be hard to you, but you can't respond. That's the hard, you know what the hardest place to do that is? In marriage. When your spouse wants to come to you and tell you that something's wrong and they're upset and they're really emotional and, and they kind of seem like an attack. And sometimes rather than listen, you go on the what? Defense. And you start to try to make excuses for what you did. And you say, well, but what about when you did this to me? And then it all blows up. But sometimes it takes the maturation process to be able to take it and listen. I was, uh, I, I was at a marriage conference with Robin one time uh, at an XO conference. And I, I liked how, how the, the speaker talked about that. He said, it's like, he said, I took a coat back one time. A coat wasn't fitting. And he said, I took that coat back to the store. And it was amazing to him that when he took the coat back, the person was all like this. And he said, hmm, it ain't your store. It ain't your coat. Why are you making me feel punished because I'm returning something that didn't work for me? And he said, sometimes that's how spouses act. That when, spouse, when your spouse comes to you and honest, is honest with you and tells you what's on your heart, on their heart and on their mind, rather than receiving that, you make it about you and you turn back around and attack them for being what? And then the next time, they don't want to be what? Honest. And they keep it to themselves until after a while, something small happens and then everything blows up. Oh, that's never happened to anybody. Any married people here haven't. <laughs> so it's important for us to be mature enough to receive some things when people are being honest with us and have enough boldness, just like Jacob did, to have enough boldness to say, God wants me to do something, I'm going to have to face this. I'm going to have to go back to my brother, and I'm going to have to right the wrongs that I did. And this is the last part, and I want you to see this as we get ready to leave. Verse 18. Um, we'll, if we go to verse 18 there, we'll all read it together. What does it say? And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padamaram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. He, there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, which simply means the God of Israel. Remember what El means? El means what? God. 
Elohi is a derivative of Elohim, and we talked about that, how that word could be used for God proper, uh, our God, or it could be used for the heavenly host uh, as well. He made it, my brother, coming on in. God bless you. Uh, and Jacob builds an altar as a what? Center of what? Worship. That's the last question. Jacob follows the example of his father because we see in Scripture what happens many times is that when we see these men, we know when they have begun to mature, even though they do wrong, because they what? They build what? Altars. What is altar building akin to? Altar building is akin to church planting. Because what do you do at an altar? Pray. It's a place of prayer, communication, and worship. Is it not written that my house should be called a what? A house of prayer. He is putting a church. You can have a church in your house. I know we got this big pretty building and all that good stuff. That's great and all in the youth rooms and all that stuff. That's fine. But you can have a church right at your address, wherever it is. It doesn't have to be at 600 North Campbell. It can be right at the side of your bed. You can have church right there. Wherever you are, that you can communicate with God, and your, your communication can go from earth to heaven, which is anywhere you are, you can have church there. Now we can now I hear somebody and I need to do this for our less mature brothers and sisters. You need to be able to congregate at a church somewhere, a church building filled with like-minded believers. Because somebody I hear somebody already. Does that mean I don't have to go to church? No, that is not what that means. That means that yes, we come together as believers in a church building, but we don't have to wait to come to church to be at church. Some of the most sweetest times that I've had with God is in places where there was nobody else, what, around. Because I could raise my hands, and I wasn't worried about, have you ever raised your hands and wonder? I wonder if I'm looking crazy. I wonder if my shirt's untucked. I wonder if somebody's doing this. I, I wonder if I'm starting to cry, and they're looking at my face all funny. My mascara is awful. Now I'm, now I'm crying, and all this stuff is wrong. I'm supposed to be a manly man. I can't cry. If I cry, they're going to think something wrong with me. They're going to think I'm one of the mother kind. And all that other stuff. All that kind of crazy stuff sometimes goes through your mind, doesn't it? But isn't it amazing? When you get by yourself, you can you can worship at your bedside just like you sing in your shower. You know you can't sing, but at the same time, you sing like you a million-dollar singer when you're in the shower. Why? Because you are uninhibited and nobody else is around, and you can be your what? Self. And God wants you to be your what? Self. This next this next uh sermon series that we're going into is talking about depending on God and being our authentic self before God. God doesn't want pretension. He not, there's no need for us to use all these big words and things like that trying to prove to, to people what we know. God already knows what's on our heart. He didn't even listen to the Pharisee that came up and said, I thank you that I'm not like this person and I, I pay my tithes and I do this and I, I do all those things. And God said, mm -hmm, yep, I, I, uh-huh. And Jesus says, God, listen to him. Mm -mm, not a word. <laughs> but here's this crook. He's a publican. He's a tax collector. He is a thief and an extortionist. He, they don't even want him in the church. This is not the deacon material that you would want. This is a criminal. He walks in, comes to the altar, and beats his breast. That's what church is. Church is where you start to beat your breast. Church is where you start to be real and authentic with God. And he says, have mercy on me, <coughs> sinner. Isn't that amazing that both of them were in church, but only one of them was at church? Oh, Jesus. 
it is possible for hundreds of people to be in church and only a few people be at church. Because you receive something when you're at church, not when you're in church. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I know my time is running out. Oh, Mark, my clock says I got nine more minutes, but I'm not going to keep you nine more minutes. But I hear the verse, voice of the Lord telling me and, and, and wanting to encourage somebody. There was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 long years. She tried everything else that she could do, and she needed to go to Jesus. But there were other people around Jesus, and they were all touching Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, that's where church is. So they were all in church. But they didn't get anything. But when she touched Jesus, Jesus said, virtue has come from me. She came looking for something. They were all around Jesus and got absolutely nothing. And this woman just reached through, didn't even bear to touch him. She touched the hem. That's that little tassel that goes down. If you see our Jewish brothers and sisters, that comes down to the side of that tassel. And it's because they say, they say there's healing in his wings. And that's what that little tassel is for. She reached down. Word of our God said there's healing in his wings, and that's what that meant to her. She wasn't touching a hymn like a seamstress hymn. They carry a little thing around them with a belt, and it has that tassel, and they believe that there was healing in those wings. And she said, if I could only touch that hymn of his garment. <laughs> Everybody was in church, but she was at church. And if you be honest, all of us have been in church and not at church. At one point in our stage, when I was a little kid, I would see people shouting what they call shouting or getting happy is what we used to call it back then. And they do all sorts of stuff. And as kids, we thought that was funny. And we, I was at church. I've been in church all my life, every year of my life. And even when I was in the womb, I was at church. My mama was there. So I've been in church. We laughed and we come back and we play about the stuff. But one day we got to playing and all of a sudden the stuff we were playing with Something hit us, and we stopped being in church, and we started being at church. The first, I remember the first time that I was at church, and it wasn't inside the church. It was in a cut-down cotton field. I lived by cotton fields, and they had already harvested the cotton, and it was a big field out there. And I was outside playing because my sister Rosie had been singing at the church, and they were all shouting. And I was at church, but I was having fun. I was a kid. I was thinking about going out and getting candy for Mr. Leo, the guy that sold candy in between. And that's what I was doing. But I was outside singing what she was singing, and in the middle of the field, I wasn't in church, but I was at church. And at seven years old, the Lord touched my heart. God is looking for people that are not just interested in being in church. He wants them to be at church. He wants them to be present in their mind. When you hear enter, don't just show up just so your body's in the building. He says, enter into his gates with something, with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts, not empty-handed, with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. If you don't have a penny, you can come with thanksgiving, and thanksgiving don't cost you one dime. Praise don't cost you one penny. If you don't have anything else to offer, you got your praise. I may not have money in my pocket, 
Somebody said, but such as I have, just like Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'll give it to you in the name of Jesus. Pick up your bed and walk. Sometimes the best things that you have to give are things that money can't even buy. Come ye who have no money. Eat and drink. And at that altar that he made, that he called El Elohi Israel, notice the name. He changed his name. That is a testament. This is the church of the God of Israel. Guess what? This is still the church of the God of Israel. Because the God of Israel is the God, my God. Jesus. Are you in church? Are you at church? It's possible to be in a building, but your mind not be present. It's possible to be in a relationship, but your heart really isn't in it. You said yes to Jesus, but you're really not that bad. Are you in church? Or are you at church? To you who are listening to me online right now, even if you're not in this physical building, if you lift your hands and connect with God and begin to pray, you are officially at church. Amen. Some have been born into the building, baptized into the building, but never born into the body. I don't want to just be in church. I want to be at church. And when I leave church, I want to feel like I'm in church. Church. Now, however you choose to worship is up to you, but this is my preference. I don't want to leave church like I was when I walked in. I don't want to leave church all nice and cool without a bead of sweat. I want to leave church tired. You know why? Because when I leave to work, I'm tired. You know what that means? I gave that job all I had to what? Give. And don't you dare give a job something you won't give God. Jesus. Some people are worshiping money. You know how I know that? Because you do things for money that you won't do for God. A blizzard be outside. You go for work. A few flurries. It's too dangerous to go to church. If you can't say amen. When I first got here, I'll never forget. A sister Pat said, are you going to announce that we're having evening service or the second service? I said, no, I just assumed we were going to have it. And, and, and so I established the rule. This is always my rule. You never have to come and ask us public service announcement are we in church. This is my rule. When you look outside your window, if you look out there and you know you would get in the car to go to work, church is happening. Because I will not give somebody else something that I won't give God. 
I won't dare be devoted to somebody else who gives me a few dollars not, and then not be devoted to the person who allowed them to have the dollars in the first place to give to me. Ooh, Jesus. Amen. Those are people who are in but they're not at church. Now, for those who say that's hyperbolic or for those who say, but I really got to work. I, I, I understand there are some situations, but, I'm, but those who know, know, and you probably nobody in this room because y'all are here. But those who listen, they know, you know who you are. You know when you could be at church, but you, you make excuses. We all know that. Don't give something to somebody else that you won't give to God. And I'm still going to have a minute and 30 left. And we finished. <laughs> so make it right. Don't just be in church, but be what? At church. And at church is not necessarily a 600 North Campbell. When you get in your car, I know some people think I'm absolutely insane because if, I, if the right song hits me and I'm at the light, all of a sudden I'm at church. And a couple times I looked over and they looking at me like, oh, well, come on in. Hey, <laughs> you can lift up your hands and just put them back on the wheel when you hit the gas. <laughs> oh, I will bless the Lord at His praises shall continually be in my mouth. Any questions or any comments as we get ready to finish? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what you see. Yes, when you go through Oak Park, through the Jewish communities, through the synagogues. Mm -hmm. you, they're going to synagogue, and that's what those tassels are for. They carry them, and their, their children will have them too. Those traditions, um, they were required for those, and to also have miter boxes. And what those boxes are, the Word of God says to keep the Word, write it on the doorpost for the youth, write it everywhere. Make sure that every, the Word of God is always around. And so that box is there to say, The Lord is ever present with me. He's always on my mind. His law is always in my heart. That in his law, he does meditate day and night. So, that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're still doing that. And although we don't have to do that as Christians, we don't have to do Sabbaths and feast days and do certain things. Sometimes, some traditions may not be all that, what? Bad. There's no salvation in it, but it'd be nice to remember. I, I got something for years ago uh, from a book. That said, sometimes just put a, a little uh, reminder on your phone to say, God is here. And set it to come up at random times. So every now and then when you're going through your day, you'll be aware of the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We did. We did. And those are God's chosen people. The Jews are God's chosen people. The Bible says that he will bless those who bless Israel. So that's why we should always want to bless Israel. Those are God's chosen people. Those are the people that God chose to bring his son down through their line. That's the blessing that we get. That's where Jesus Christ comes from. He is the line of Judah, which is the seed of David. Mm. Some extra stuff. Very good. Good questions. Good compliments. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to let you guys go uh, and uh, so you can enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, and I'm, I'm so thankful for you taking the time to come out here and learn the word. This is cool because I like to converse with you all. Uh, or some people might say conversate, but that's not really a word. Converse is actually the real word. I'm just being petty for a second. But anyway, <laughs> I want to converse with you guys. Uh, Victor said, I'm confused now. I don't know which word. Just say talk. <laughs> God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the opportunity to learn your word. And I want you to bless what's being done downstairs and what's being done here. Lord, we pray for the sermon series and pray that the whole church is praying for it as you're speaking to our hearts, trying to teach us your kingdom principles and your kingdom values, that we will live as citizens and emissaries of your kingdom. We give you praise and thanks in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. I ask for healing for Robin right now and all those who need it in the name of Jesus. For Sister Messer and, all, and Brother Archie, all those who are dealing with uh, healing issues. And for Sister Mabel, all those people, Lord, we constantly keep them up before you and give them strength uh, and their caregivers. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. <laughs>